0: I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my Thoughts on Money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast. We like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog, trying my hardest to not sound sick, because I've sounded sick the last, like, four podcasts. So why is this happening to me, Sean Latimer? Tis the season. But am I just, I don't know, am I just doing that thing where I'm like, it's never felt like this before, but it does seem like... People are getting like this six week cough. Is that
1: I mean, absolutely true? Definitely true. Well, all three of us have a bunch of little kids. Yes, and so okay. it's kind of a daycare and school revolving or... door of illness. Oh yeah, in all of our households.
0: My one of my little boys, the middle one, I I think we have to take him in because I'm like I think he's had a, a cough for like two months. We took him in a while ago and like oh it'll go away and I'm like he's still like throughout the night not getting like genuine sleep.
2: It's been it's been difficult. All of our friends are getting it. We're starting to get it, unfortunately. So,
1: so to answer your question, it's the norm. It's not just you guys.
2: Yeah,
0: well, it's really hard too. We live in one of those cold weather cities. Yeah, it's today, <laughs> sick, right? Yeah, a lot of clients we serve on the East Coast, and they're always like, "Stop complaining!" I'm like, "It's below sixty here. Golly, it's so cold."
1: I know we do Zoom meetings, and they can see kind of like palm trees and blue skies in the background, and they're like,
0: "Weather looks pretty nice there." <laughs> I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> So I named the articles when I'm done writing it. And I just really liked the name Returns of a Jedi. So I had to like go back through the article and sprinkle in a little bit of Star Wars. So the title made sense. And I added that Yoda quote at the end. I hope you guys like it. I love the starting Yoda quote. I kind
1: of thought it was got more Star Wars in it. It needed to. But good job putting something in there. I was trying to
0: think of a title and I was like, Returns, Returns of a Jedi. (laughs) That sounds cool. (laughs) So yeah, it starts out. Once you start down the dark path forever, will it dominate your destiny? It's actually a good quote because what I want to talk today about is returns and returns captivate so much attention.
1: Yeah, the, the first thing I thought of too, and you give a really good example later in the article about how people measure the overall returns and how they, that feeling you get when something goes up a lot, is like, oh yes, a win. And it almost makes you forget about the, the recent losses, right? And uh, it, an example is when, People purchase a home and it goes up in value over time. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they're they're able to associate the time frame with it going up. Like I've had this happen a lot of times where people are like, Oh, you know, I bought this house, you know, fifteen years ago and it's doubled in value. And I'm like, Oh, like it's the best investment I've ever made. I'm like, Well, that might not be true, you know. But if you try to show them kind of the difference of compounding returns over time versus the start point and end point, it, it's sometimes hard to convince people. So true. I was talking with an
2: investor the other day and I'm going to use even numbers. The numbers were a little bit different in in reality, but it was, it went something along the lines of, Hey, I had a hundred thousand dollars in this account 10 years ago. Now it's $200,000. That's a hundred thousand dollar increase. That's 10% per year, right? Because 10 years, 10,000 per year. And I kind of stopped him. Wait a minute. That might be simple rate of return 10% per year, but let's think about the actual compound rate of return. Comes out to be something around 7.2% for that that math. But it gets to your point, we see these large numbers, these doublings and quadruplings and we automatically think it's an amazing return. Sometimes you have to stop
0: and look at the time frame. Yeah, I found myself talking to real estate with a friend yesterday that likes to invest in the stock market and he also likes to invest in real estate and For what he was going to buy, there's a lot more to this conversation, but I was telling him, if you're not going to add leverage to it, and based on where the price is in that zip code right now, and looking at what you're going to rent, it doesn't seem like the return is going to be extremely attractive. So as long as you walk into it knowing that, but if you can add some low cost leverage, and if you can buy the property at a 15% discount, and then if you can improve it a little bit to push rents up, you could probably get a decent return. Mm-hmm. But I think exactly what Sean said, when it comes to real estate, out of sight, out of mind, they're just like, man, money machine, money machine goes boom boom mm-hmm. boom. Yeah. Exactly. you say that you usually say that.
1: Yeah. Money machine goes Yeah. <laughs> I just picture these uh images they they make these memes of like Jerome Powell whenever he was raising rates and he was holding those two you know, those dollar bill things that shoot him out The guns. What it it <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: what it felt like <laughs> Yeah, so the whole point of that is I started out the article and said, like, we're really good at memorizing numbers, right? I don't know why, but is your—well, uh, sorry, I'll give context for our listeners. I said that I can still recite my childhood home phone number, which I haven't lived there in a very long time. But that, that number will not leave my brain. Like, when I, when I see my sister, she's like— Do you still remember our home phone when we were growing up? And we both will, like, recite it. It's just, I don't know. So there's some numbers that won't leave your brain. And I talked about there's somebody who remembered Pi, right, 3.14, and then a lot of other numbers to the 70,000th decimal place or something like that. I could not believe that. Which is unreal, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. He's 17 hours. So we're really good at that. But just like Blaine said, when we have to start adding a little bit of math, like thinking how numbers compound, how they relate with one another, it gets a little bit more murky.
2: You wrote in the article, Trevor, but just using simple math, you start with $100 and you're down 50% the first year. Our n- natural inclination is, is to think, okay, I just need another 50% up year to get back even. But it's not the case. We hear it all the time that, you know, it, it takes a 100% return to make up for a 50% loss. But you take that $100, it goes down to 50 if you have just a 50% return the next year, you're only up to 75 bucks. So at the end of the day, plus 50, I'm sorry, minus 50%. And then a plus 50% equals negative
0: 25%. Yeah, it's hard to think of it that way. It is. And that's why compounding isn't natural for us to kind of compute in our head, which somebody should even check my math, because I had to do a lot of compounding <laughs> here. And I tried to keep it pretty simple when I was writing an article uh, late at night. But That quote you're saying is said so much in our circles of personal finance, like if you lose 50%, you then need 100% return just to break even, that it's like desensitized me Mm -hmm. to the potency of that reality. Like Sean and I were at lunch the other day and I was doing some quick math in my head and I was like, what if you get 20% four years in a row and then you get a down 50? And then we were like trying to do the math, I'm like, oh man, like I was actually surprised how much that destroys you Mm. because you're, you're cutting it in half when you're doing it at the end, a big number. Mm -hmm. And then I started to realize, Oh, like somebody who's been doing this for a decade, like, Oh, that is very hurtful. So it gets you back to that kind of tortoise and hare, this idea of why you don't want to chase things that, you know, what do they say? Trees don't grow to the sky. Because gravity brings things back at some point and it can be so detrimental.
1: You know, it's uh, interesting that's come up a couple times recently is uh, uh, I was talking about performance with a client and they mentioned, uh, you know, oh, this year the S&P 500's done X. And I was like, oh yeah, well, but last year it didn't do well. And he goes, yeah, but if we look two years from now, it's flat, it's right back to where it was. And, and he was saying like a good thing. And I'm like, well, yeah, good thing that we have, you know, dividend income and reinvesting, and, and it's different, right? And and I, I think in this case the returns were about you know a little over five percent per year, of last year to this year. And then uh, he's like, yeah, but that's only like five percent. That's what, like money markets pay. And I remember I just had this feeling like, oh, we're in such like an interesting, you know, position where people are starting to get, I don't want to say greedy, but they're thinking like five percent's easy. And I'm like, oh, this is. This is a season of investing and we're going to look back at this time and be like, oh, you remember that hiccup of time (laughs) where money markets were paying 5% and everyone thought that was going to be the safe haven forever. Mm -hmm. I I think it's going to be interesting when we look back.
0: I'm going to admit something on this podcast. I do some framing. So with what you were talking about earlier, Sean, when you were like somebody's house, whatever, they're like, oh, it doubled in value. I use that technique when I talk to clients. Because I don't think your brain can understand returns. Mm -hmm. Like Like on a year-by-year basis. I mean, like, let's say you've been a client for 10 years and you've averaged 10%. People, like, it just rolls off their tongue. They're like, is this just 10%? Like, what's 10% between a few friends? You know what (laughs) I mean? Like, they don't care. So I will always start with, like, this is how many dollars you have more purely from growth. And usually people ask, well, come on, that's my contributions, too. And I'm like, no, no, no. This is this number right here, this $1.3 million over five years, whatever it is, you know, this was only from the growth of the portfolio, because to me, that like hits home and it, it gets and maybe it's how people are wired. It gets back to that same real estate framing you were talking about before. Like, yes, we can talk about the returns, but I want you to know this is how many more dollars you have from being willing to invest, allowing your money to compound, because the dollar amount seems to have. A, a harder punch than the actual percent. Is this one well, of those
1: tricks, like when it's bad news, you use percentage, and <laughs> when it's good news, use dollars? <laughs> no, I was very careful
0: when I said framing that yeah. I wasn't saying that to manipulate somebody. <laughs> I was saying this is how a human being's wired, so therefore, yeah. I uh, played my audience. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. What's super interesting about that is that's how prospectuses work. So if you look at a prospectus, which I don't expect our uh, our listeners to to read through all the prospectuses. But you go to, I don't know, the second or the third page, and they start talking about expenses and past returns. And usually what they'll put, they won't just put the percentage return, but they'll say, if you started with $10,000, you would then have X after 10 years. So it totally gets to your point of, you know, we might in finance world, we might look at percentage return way more often than dollar return, but
0: investors really care about dollar return. Yeah, and I guess that's something that you can put on our plate and we can actually stomach and understand. You start talking about returns, especially like we were saying, 7% doesn't feel that different than 6%, -hmm. right? But then you look at the rule of 72 and you're like, oh, that's an extra two years of doubling. 3% doesn't always feel that different than 6%, yet it takes twice as long to double your money. So, yeah, it's it's the same thing when – we were talking about the other day, was I with you? No, no, I was with an, another group of friends, and we were talking about the difference between millions and billions. Mm-hmm. And it was something, I wish I knew it, but it was something like a million, they were measuring seconds. Have you heard this before? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's something like, uh, how long is a million seconds? I'm going to butcher it, so everybody's listening to this, go Google search it and get the real details. Something like 12 days, right? And then what was a, a billion seconds? It was like, two years like or 12 something. years or oh, something. Geez. It was something, it was like much different. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it was because our brain, it's, just, it's only one letter different, right? It's yeah. like a million or a billion, <laughs> but it's drastically different on what those figures are. So that's why when we're dealing with numbers, and that's what this article is all about, you have to figure out how to train yourself, right? When Trevor's talking about framing, it's, it's to the benefit of the client, but an investor has to work on framing too because they have to make sure that they don't hurt themselves, right? And those 50% returns sound so attractive or I, I can't tell you how many times I've called somebody or somebody's called me and they said, hey, I want to work with you guys. Like I'm not trying to hit home run. I just want something like a modest return of like 15% per year. I'll be happy. I don't want to take much risk. And I'm like, what in the world? Where can I get that? Cause I want Yo, that, that sounds too. Great. Let me know when you find it. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's interesting. Cause you talk about in the dark side of the article and how the, um, you know, these, some of these indexes, it's like bungee jumping, you know, they're big thrills, but they're huge swings up, huge swings down. And, uh, I'm going to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole. But when I was reading that, I was thinking like, oh, it it totally makes sense. Because if you are someone who goes bungee jumping or you like thrills, you probably make quick decisions too. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you, you, and you probably look at these types of investments as like exciting. But the problem is that's the most dangerous type of personality to have when you own something like this. Because if you're like steady and calm and like the tortoise and you're like, oh, I don't look at it. I don't worry about it. You'd probably be fine. But if you're the type of person where you're always watching it and looking for the, the shortcut or the quick return, you're probably making changes at the worst possible time mm-hmm. when, you, when you're in such a volatile investment anyway. So just
0: something I was thinking about. Yeah, the reason bungee jumping came to mind for me because I was thinking about like the NASDAQ. don't know the exact numbers, but let's just use, like you did, like whole numbers that are within the right zip code. Let's say an index was up 40% this year, right? Let's say last year was down 30%. So I took $100, down 30, turned it into 70. Mm-hmm. And then now I'm going to go up 40%. Seven times four is twenty-eight. So I can add twenty-eight dollars. So I'm at ninety-eight dollars. So I have two dollars less than when I started, but I had a wild ride, right? Down thirty and then up forty. But they're going to talk about up forty. Yeah, they are <laughs> the exactly. Friends. But that's why it reminded me of a bunch of jumping because I'm like, you jump off, you have this exhilarating thrill going down, and then you bounce back up, and you end up right where you started. So it's just a wild ride. And then we'll get into why ordinary returns can be impressive over long periods of time. But I think you were going to say something, Blaine, so I'll give it back to you.
2: Oh, well, I was just going to comment on Sean's. I, I think that's one of the detriments of our phones these days, especially when you look at the Robinhood app and some of these other apps. Not to say they are in and of themselves bad, but it allows us to be sitting on our couch, watch a commercial about something that garners our interest, and then make a trade. And sometimes we just need a, like a red button to like, put a pause on our decisions or maybe a phone call to an advisor or a friend to like hey I'm thinking about making this purchase or making this sell
0: what should I do <laughs> and it's funny cuz it's it's cultural right so it's it it's meeting the audience that's why you're you're able to do that and you've seen that same evolution you guys have to tell me cuz I'm I'm not really in this world and I'm not saying you are either but uh the evolution of gambling too right Mm -hmm. like those gambling apps don't they like mid game oh yeah you can say like oh Uh -oh. how much points will this person score before the end of the game or then it's like it's like constantly changing
1: and what happens is a lot of times people will bet on a game and Mm -hmm. let's say the game gets out of hand they're like all right, I'm gonna double down but just do the second half and take this and take that and it's like a non-stop live gambling where you can dig yourself in a a hole pretty quickly. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it's an addict, right? There's no satiation. So, or that's not the right word. They're never satiated. Mm -hmm. So they have to keep getting like a thrill. And when it comes to your money, it's hugely important to a lot of things like your kids and your marriage and your ability to one day provide for yourself and and all these different things. So I, I just wanted to illustrate like, be careful on what you wish for because if you're wishing for returns that are unsustainable, you will experience returns that are unsustainable and the pain can be detrimental. And I didn't want to pick on the NASDAQ, but I just pointed out, you know, we're talking about like $100 going up and down, right? So the NASDAQ in the year 2000 was down almost 40%. So 100 turned into 60 right? The next year, it was down another more than 20%. So now 60 turns into 48, Mm -hmm. I think, right? Uh, And then down another 30%, right? So then whatever, that comes down to like 30 bucks or something Mm -hmm. like that. So you just destroyed this, you know, nucleus of money. And then you start thinking about how, what type of returns you have to get to get back even. And I later on in the article will say, hey, let's look at the NASDAQ 30 years later and the wow. price is almost the same and in that year 2013 the returns were something like almost 40 percent so bungee jumping can be hazardous to your health mm. when you apply those theories to investing I think as investors we we often just extrapolate
2: the past we do this in a lot of other areas of our life I was even thinking about you know we're all big NFL fans here I was thinking about the Eagles. So the Eagles, I think, were something like 9-1 and earlier this year. And everybody kind of just assumed they were going to be the NFC championship or NFC champion representing NFC in the, in the Super Bowl.
0: Everybody except for me. Except for 40 49ers 49er fans. Fan.
2: But the 49ers, to be fair, lost, I think, 3 of 4. And so, so people were thinking, "Had 40, 49ers are not really who we thought they were. Eagles are 9-1. They're going to be the NFC winners. But they had a lot of close wins. And if you really dig into the the fundamentals, if you will, of, of the actual wins and the team, you might realize that you can't just assume that they're going to go nine and one the second half of the year. Sure enough, they're, I think they've lost three or four or something like that. But we, we do this with, with, um, in finance, you think about the nineties returns were something like 20% per year. And I wasn't in the business at that point in time, but I talked to other advisors who say clients would come in. And they would say, "Okay, let's let's uncover our financial plan, our retirement plan, and let's assume fifteen or seventeen or eighteen percent returns per year."
1: Though, like, let's be conservative and say <laughs> conservative, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and we know if you assume fifteen or twenty percent annual rate of return, any financial plan is going to look good. But it's hard for us to to look at the past that that line graph and think it's going to do any, anything different than it's done the last five years.
0: So we have a problem with extrapolating returns. Yeah, the funny thing about football too. I've never thought about this until you said it, but I watch a lot of basketball. I don't know what there is, 82 games or something, Mm -hmm. right? With just 16 games, and you're like six or seven games in the season, not now, I'm just saying going back then with the the Eagles, Mm -hmm. like there's not a huge sample size of what to look look at. And you also don't know the teams that they beat, how bad they will be. You know, you beat the Carolina Panthers in week (laughs) two and you didn't realize they're going to win one game all season or something like that. And then the other thing you're saying is that sometimes it's just like, One play, right? One play makes a difference. I'm a big Warriors fan, and people think I'm justifying their mediocrity right now, (laughs) but I'm not. I I literally watch almost every game, and almost every game comes down to the last shot. It's not that they've been unlucky. They shouldn't put themselves in that situation, but maybe they're a little bit better than what people are assuming. I I don't think they're going to (laughs) win the NBA championship, but I think when you watch the games and you have a front row seat, it's a little bit different than just looking at box scores. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that happens a lot too. Like, because uh, we all watch a lot of sports here, and uh, sometimes Trevor will be like, "Oh, I didn't see the game. It looked like they lost by, you know, fourteen points, or like a football game." USC. and I'm like, "Ah, no, not necessarily. It came down to one possession mm-hmm. or one field goal, and then there was like what we call like garbage time. There, there was like scores that ca- didn't really count because the game was pretty much over. But yeah, so you're right. Box score doesn't tell the whole story.
0: And that brings us back to investing because. None of us can help it. I, I think all three of us talking right now probably do the same thing. Like, if we went to a menu option of 401k investment yeah. strategies, like, we can't help ourselves. We're like, hmm, what were the returns of each of these strategies? And, like, let's itemize them by their returns. It's tempting. It mm-hmm. will lure you in. I get it. But we kind of closed out the article in the section I, I, uh, titled Singles and Doubles, and basically, isn't that something they say in baseball? Oh, yeah. Right, like you know, we don't need home runs; we just need singles and doubles or
1: base runners. Just gotta get on base.
0: Yeah, I'm sure you know. You got Sean knows baseball well, uh, full of statistics. But it was interesting. There's a famed investor by the name of Howard Marks, and he had this interaction some time ago. I don't remember how long ago it was. It says 14 years ago, but this was written a while ago, where I took the quote. And he was talking to the pension manager of General Mills or something. And the guy was mentioning like, hey, I I managed this pension fund for 14 years. And whatever he said, every year I was in the 27th percentile. Not amazing. Like right middle of the pack. But he's like, oh, you know, that's nothing to write home about. But he's like, but if you look at all the returns collectively, I was in the fourth percentile. And then it's like, wait a tick. How could that be? it's because there's a bunch of bungee jumpers in there, mm-hmm. right? People that were the best fund ever. And then the next year, they were the worst fund ever. So you do that high volatility tops and bottoms. Uh, in the long run, sometimes you can actually end up mediocre. You can have some incredible years. You can be on the front of magazine covers. But it, it seems like it's a fair analogy to win at investing. It's probably more about singles and doubles and grand slams.
1: A lot of that's probably temperament too, you know, and sticking to an investment strategy over a long period of time and having compounded results instead of, like you said, bungee jump of picking one asset class or even fund managers that they hit home runs on one position or two, and they kind of double down on something similar and Mm -hmm. they blow up. And that's why you kind of see huge returns and then poor performance. Yeah. Just speaks to consistency,
2: diligence, steady plotting. Yeah, it's often the, the better investment strategy than
1: trying to hit the home run. You know, there's, like, heat maps, too, that show, like, all that different asset classes, Uh the best performing and worst. And then in the middle is normally, like, a balanced portfolio. And it's, like, tends to be the best performing because it's kind of, like, middle of the road. Uh, I I haven't looked at one recently, but I'd be curious after 2022 if that kind of, like, shook things up. Because that's, Mm. like, first year in a long time that, like, most of those investments are probably, like, an S&P index on equities. And then the fixed income goes down double digit. Mm -hmm. And you're, like, oh, man, this was the best forever. Now it's not. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and what I thought was interesting, or like why this is important for our listeners or readers to kind of grasp, is Howard Marks is considered like I don't know, this could be argued, right? Like he he's almost on like the Mount Rushmore of investors, right? Like people read his newsletter, he's had you know a pretty impressive career, so he's not as household of a name as Warren Buffett, right? But he's talking about how this experience changed his firm's investment philosophy, and I don't want to paraphrase it so i'm just going to read what he said he said i feel strongly that attempting to achieve a superior long-term record by stringing together a run of top decile years is unlikely to succeed that is not intuitive so rather striving to do a little better than average every year and through blaine used this word discipline to have highly superior relative results in bad times is less likely to produce extreme volatility less likely to produce huge losses, which can't be recouped, we talked about, and most importantly, which I think should be exclamation mark, more likely to work given the fact that all of us are only human. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I I go back to those NASDAQ results. Man, if you got burned like that in the stock market or what you thought was the stock market, you never invested again. You're like, this is a, a, you know whatever bad word would be appropriate that I'm not going to use in the (laughs) podcast. Like this is a a, full of crock. Like why would I ever do this? And those little experiences will change your paradigm. And it seems interesting that Howard Mark's paradigm was changed by saying, oh, wow. If you get ordinary returns for a lifetime, Mm -hmm. you can actually get life-changing results. And for me, that's been impactful to me in my own investing is like, it's a long obedience in the same direction, mm. right? It's some years will be good. Some years are bad. But like, I like that word you use, I think used it. Blaine was like just plotting along. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep plotting along because the rule of 72, if you compound at 7% or 10%, like you're going to start doubling money and the beauty of compounding is going to take its place. But you can mess that up if you want to go chase something that is unsustainable.
1: Think about that poor investor that you were just describing too. Like through the 90s, your friends are like, you got to get in the stock market. (laughs) It's up 20%. You're missing out, missing out. And you hear that year after year after year. And you're like, all right, all right, I'll give this a shot. And, you know, 99, 2000. And you're like, I knew it was a scam. I shouldn't have fallen for it. And then you're right. You may never invest again. Yeah,
0: Yeah. opportunity to be vulnerable. That's why I'm anxious when somebody hasn't had a lot of experience investing in the stock market and they're like, I've just been saving cash forever. I have this huge amount of cash. I'm like, oh, man. Okay, like, I walk through dollar cost averaging, yeah. the psychological benefits. Like, I- I'm nervous because this person has no game film, has no experience. Mm-hmm. And I am the responsible party, like, you know, the safari guide that's yeah. going to take them into the wild, wild west. It's a
2: big part of our job is to keep people in their seats and not bail at an opportune time. One of my favorite charts that I use, especially with either new clients or newer investors, it's called the sequence of returns chart. It basically shows uh, asset allocation anywhere from 100% stocks to 100% bonds in every 10% in between. It'll show the average annual return for that allocation. It'll show the top calendar year return and then the bottom calendar year return. And It's helpful to, to just show them, hey, would you be comfortable going all the way out to the right? where it was down 43 or
0: 44% I believe in 2008 57% I think if you go top to, to top bottom, bottom. In, 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 yes. year yeah
2: yeah but just calendar year yeah. and so it, it's helpful cuz you can see their body language if you're in person or zoom and they, a lot of people kind of shudder at 43 or even 35 and so then you know you kind of move down the sequence of of uh, return and they might fall somewhere in I don't know a 70 30 allocation that gets a lot of the return the average annual return but a lot less volatility
0: Yeah, it's interesting, too. It kind of works both ways. As attracted people are to big returns, people that self-describe as conservative, they will be like, oh, you know, I'll just do money market. And they have the same math problem in their head. They can't think about inflation. And Mm -hmm. they can't think that, like, a two-year treasury is paying 5%. Because at some point recently, the implied inflation was 5%. Mm -hmm. So. It was the same when inflation was zero and the return was zero, but that is just very hard to think about. So I think it gets gets us back to a place that there is a gentleman, I don't remember his name off the top of my head, in India that can remember the number pi to the 70,000th decimal place, right? Just sequence of memorization. You can do that, but you start to compute how returns relate to one another over a 10-year period or how inflation relates to your returns it gets really foggy and then you start leaning on your gut and then things start to fall apart. I got nothing. John's got nothing. Blaine?
2: I I was reading the book of Proverbs this morning. Actually, a client gave me a little tiny, it's just the book of Proverbs. I
0: got it too. You did? Amazing. Yeah. Did you get it from uh, Saddleback it. Leather? Oh, yes. I can say it. Yeah. Yes. Love it. I'm not going to say the client's I name. The podcast, I, I thought you were going to say it. No. We're so comfortable I was gonna on gonna here. You. I didn't know. Did you get it from John Doe? Yeah, John Doe, no way. <laughs>
2: actually, I got it from Jane Doe. Okay. Uh, I have it on my desk. And this morning, popped it open. I just decided to read or go to Proverbs 21 because it's the 21st day in the month. So I figured I'd read Proverbs 21. Sure enough, perfect verse for today's podcast. I've actually said it in a, a previous podcast, but twenty-one five. steady plotting brings prosperity. Hasty speculation brings poverty. Oh. That's really good. I need
0: to commit that to memory. But... Golly, the wisdom literature, right? It seems so simple, belongs in a fortune cookie, seems so intuitive. But then when you get into the thick of it, right? When you get outside the textbook and you get into the trenches, you're like, YOLO, (laughs) this looks so good. And one of the things we talked about in the article, I'll end with this, is that when we're using some of those numbers to quote an index like the NASDAQ, right? Don't forget, this is the average of a lot of companies it's the aggregate return. You want to start going deeper and going into single companies, go to zero. The, some of those mm-hmm. companies don't exist. Some companies have a stock price today that's still less than it was in 1999. So you have to appreciate that you're using the aggregate results of a, a, a fair amount of companies. Yeah, we could argue that you know the diversification of the Dow is, is maybe more attractive than NASDAQ. That's not the point of what I'm talking about right now. But these results are hard to swallow on a collection of companies. Imagine, as we've seen with a lot of people that want to speculate on their neighbor's garage company or uh, some other innovation, single company or something like that, like just plodding along, as Howard Mark says, with ordinary returns can create a life-changing experience if somebody has... That patience and tolerance and temperament that we talk about every single week on Thoughts on Money. So with that said, we'll ask you to rate the podcast. You can email Blaine, Sean, or myself, Trevor. Easy email to remember, tom, T-O-M, at the Uh, We really appreciate you. We hope that you have an amazing holiday month and whatever you're celebrating. Um, I think we will be back next week with more of our Thoughts, Thoughts on Money. On money.
3: performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.